From WXXI News, this is Unleashed, the Pet Show on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Well, welcome to the Pet Show, Unleashed, giving you the chance to talk to local veterinarians every month about your pet's health and behavior. And today we've got Dr. John Sampson from Greece Animal Hospital in studio. You can ask a question by calling 844-295-TALK. It's toll free, 844-295-8255. If you're in Rochester, 263-WXXI, 263-9994, or you can tweet your question to the hashtag Unleashed or to our producer, Megan Mack, at mmackmedia on Twitter. You can always email me, edawson at wxxi.org. Dr. John Sampson from the Grease Animal Hospital. Thank you for being here. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, it's. Uh, it, I always like to ask what's keeping vets busy because as the year goes on, there's different needs and different sort of demands. And what's keeping you busiest right now? Uh, just like with us humans, dogs and cats both get allergies as well. So, I mean, I'm a fall allergy person. A lot of dogs are as well. So definitely getting uh, busy with allergies as well as fleas. Uh, they're starting to come out uh, quite a bit right now. So and, seeing quite a bit of those. And I know we've been dealing with a drought and in some cases an extreme drought in terms of classification. And you you had said earlier, at least in your what you're sort of empirically observing, that the flea season's been a little later? Yeah. So at the beginning of the season, didn't see all too many, which I was kind of surprised by. But now all of a sudden that we had kind of normal weather, uh, having rain, everything going along those lines, cooling down, that uh, I've seen a lot more uh, flea infestations coming along. Okay. And attack that the same way we always do? Anything new in the way of flea treatment? Uh, in dogs, there are. I mean, you have some good oral forms of uh, dog preventatives. Uh, cats is just pretty much topicals. Um, but just staying on those monthly, uh, and then that pretty much will fix uh, your issues. If you have a dog that has, or animals that have, do cats get fall allergies like dogs do? Yep, they can get allergies as well. Uh, it's just they hide things a lot better than dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dogs will sneeze just like we do, I uh-huh. guess. I guess cats can, but mm-hmm. what's what's the easiest way to tell if your cat is suffering from fall allergies? Uh, seeing their fur coat, seeing if uh, their skin is getting a little bit more red, if their hair is getting dry, falling out type thing. Obviously, if your cat has really bad allergies, they tend to pretty much destroy their face uh, with their claws and everything. So uh, they get really, really bad uh, sores and everything on their face from scratching so bad. Uh, So that can be there. You don't see that that often, but um, cats can show significant uh, allergies. Okay. Uh, Next hour on Second Opinion Live, we're going to be talking about human allergies to medications. So listeners, if that is something that comes into play for you, you might want to be thinking about that with questions or comments for next hour. We'll answer them. I'm someone who's allergic to amoxicillin, for example. But for if you've got a pet, let's say you've got a cat that you suspect has an allergy, um, I remember as a kid being in taken for those allergy shots, you know, where your mm-hmm. arm blows up mm-hmm. or your back blows up. What do you do for a pet to figure out, whether it's a cat or a dog, what the allergy may be? Uh, for the most part, you always want to rule out fleas. Uh, fleas can cause significant allergies in dogs and cats. And once you rule that out, you have to rule out food. You go on special diets. If you don't think that's going to be it, if it's more of a seasonal thing, uh, there are some medications that you can use. Otherwise, we do have dermatologists that we will send you to that can actually give uh, intradermal testing, just like in humans, and doing monthly shots, weekly shots, what have you. Okay. I, dogs will show you, I mentioned sort of by sneezing, but mm-hmm. I remember uh, a big dog in our family rubbing his long nose on the ground in, in this really aggressive fashion. Is that mm-hmm. one way they kind of itch? That's one way they can itch. Um, one really common thing that people just sort of associate with boredom is licking of the feet. And so you'll see them licking their feet. If you open up their toes, they'll be actually pretty red and irritated and everything. And that's a very common place for allergy to show up. And their toes? Mm-hmm. Oh, really? And so it's just uh, whenever you get allergies, it's kind of like a generalized 
inflammation of the skin, and the toes are one way to get it. Uh, so allergies, environmental, isn't so much by like breathing it in and getting a runny nose like in humans. It's more skin contact mm. um, that it'll work down to. And once you at least get a diagnosis, how effective is treatment for, for pet allergies? If you get on the right medication, pretty good. Um, there are those few animals, just like in humans, uh, that, you know, my wife, for example, was getting shots for an extended period of time. Finally, you know, coming here and getting retested and getting her shots, it's finally working now. Um, and she's feeling a lot better with it, whereas for a while it wasn't. Same thing with dogs. You can do all the proper channels and still have a very itchy dog. And at that point, and I have heard stories of it, is they move the dog across the country and life is good again. You know, and they don't have the allergies mm. because they don't have those pollens and stuff here. Mm. Well, as we move into fall, we may actually see rain again at some point. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how drought may be impacting a later flea season. Every time it rains in our yard, we get mushrooms. Yep. And I want to talk a little bit about some safety issues for pets as we move into the fall. So let me just start with mushrooms. Yeah. Most of the time you see mushrooms in the yard, should I be worried if an animal is going to be eating them? You don't have to be, I'd say, super worried, but the ones that are really dangerous, say, is the death cap is what it's called. It's kind of hard to identify unless you're a really good botanist of some sort. And so the best general rule is keep them away from it. Um, it can cause GI upset. It can cause a lot of issues. The death cap obviously will progress to a lot more serious signs. It can be fatal. It can be fatal, definitely, yeah. just like in humans. And so that's why, unless you really know what you're eating, wild mushrooms, berries, etc., stay away from them um, as best as you possibly can. Okay. And then if you have them in your backyard, just know where they are, see if you can get some uh, fungal killers around there, um, or keep your dog on the leash for the meantime. I uh, I had not heard the term death cap before. Mm -hmm. Are you? Do you see animals come in with any mushroom poisoning with any frequency? You see it every once in a while, every year. Okay. I mean, at the emergency clinic, you definitely saw a couple, uh, but you know, it's kind of a rare thing, but it does happen, um, especially for those dogs who will go out in the forest and go hiking and everything with their owners. You're more apt to find a whole different set of mushrooms compared to in your backyard, uh, just because there's you know, the proper environment for them being damp and everything. Um, but yeah, those are the ones I would say that are more at risk for it. All right. So here's an email from Jillian who just says, Evan, can your veterinarian settle a debate in our household? <laughs> can dogs be allergic to bees? They can. Uh, so, I mean, it's just like with us. You get stung by a bee, you're going to have some sort of reaction with it. And uh, as long as they're doing well, I mean, I've seen plenty of dogs get the puffy face. So they're more or less smiling at you. The You can barely see their eyes and everything like that, but they're still happy-go-lucky. You have these labs who are chasing these things, and all of a sudden they get stung. And then you just give some Benadryl, obviously call your vet to make sure it's okay and to get the proper dosage. But, um, yeah, they easily can be allergic to bees. I haven't seen one that get, like, say, anaphylaxis mm -hmm. as they do in humans where you need an EpiPen and whatnot, but obviously there's going to be that exception where it will happen every once in a while. All right, Jillian, I don't know who we settled the debate in favor of in your <laughs> household, but I hope that answer helps. Uh, and if you want to call the program with your questions about your pet's health and behavior, it's 844-295-TALK, toll free, 844-295-8255 or 263-WXXI. 263-9994. So we talked about mushrooms as a possible toxin. Mm -hmm. uh, what else is out there? I think you'd mentioned um, before the program began, rodenticides? Yeah, so obviously... Rat, rat poison? Is rat that? poison, okay. exactly. And so the most common ones out there, the one that was started, is uh, one that pretty much stops your clotting in your body. It's the mo was the most common one. Now there's a new product that's coming out that you need to ingest more of but can cause a bunch of neurological signs. The beauty about the one that stops 
clotting in your body, it's reversible if you catch it in time. Obviously, it can progress to a very, very serious point, but um, if you catch it early enough, you can uh, stop it from clotting and you can save your animal. The other one, if you ingest it, there's really no antidote for it. And so if you're ever going to be using rat toxins or rat poisons in your house, you know, just be super, super careful on where they are because if you put them in the attic because that's where the rats are, rats pick up that food and they will drag it into the house somewhere that your pets might have access to it. So honestly, the best rule of thumb is don't have it in there. Go for live traps because you know that you're not going to have that poison in it. Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a great reminder. And you mentioned uh, what happens with bee stings. Uh, on the list here of what to be thinking about in the fall with your pets, especially if you have outside pets, snake bites. How often do you hmm. encounter a snake bite in a dog or a cat? Uh, not very often here. Uh, I mean, we do have uh, snakes. When I first moved here, uh, I you know looked it up just to see what kind of things they have. Mm-hmm. There are a couple that are poisonous, but in reality, you just don't see it that often. Not like you do, say, in Arizona or any really high draught, uh, dry area where you're going to have those poisonous rattlesnakes. Um, so... In reality, not very often here whatsoever. Okay. Well, before I move on to our next set here, I like to ask veterinarians when they're in, what's the most unusual thing you have a pet ingest? Usually big dogs eating things they shouldn't eat. Mm-hmm. Some dogs just eat everything. What's the weirdest or most uh, surprising thing you've had come in? Uh, I would say probably the funniest story. It might not be funny for the family, but um, you know, I hope the, getting the into, dog's okay. Here. The dog is definitely okay. okay. The relationship is not. Okay. Uh, so it's where they ingested some underwear. And oh. uh, they brought him to surgery, had it, and then all of a sudden the wife comes in and wanted to see the pair of underwear, just because apparently there's dispute on whose it was. Oh my goodness! And uh, as you can just imagine from that story, that's how that relationship ended. Wow! Oh my gosh! I guess dogs will eat anything. Anything. Um, and and that's another reminder with kids back in school. If you have the kind of dog that will eat anything, if you have the kind of dog in your house, so you make a list of the funny <laughs> things that they have ingested. Uh, usually labs are bigger. Yes. But important to kind of keep kids' backpacks or snack packs that those kind of things away. Yeah, just because you know your Labradors, your Goldens, um, the ones who really don't care what they eat as long as they get some sort of food. It might not be healthy for them. It might not be digestible. And so your toys, your, you know, crayons, you might just get some colorful poop. But, um, you know, obviously the le- the more that you can prevent them from eating anything, the better um, that they're not supposed to. Okay. When it comes to vaccines, what are some of the core vaccines pets should have each? Uh, the core vaccines, obviously, rabies, which is kind of law, so you really should get that every single year or whenever we tell you to get it. Uh, the other one is the general term distemper. So it's a vaccine that covers uh, multiple different viruses uh, that includes actually the more proficient one that is in Rochester every single year, mostly in the spring, parvo. So parvovirus is a gastrointestinal virus that really destroys the GI tract. Um, it go, The virus works at a certain part of the cell level that doesn't allow that cell to replicate. And so you have this really, really bad bloody diarrhea and without treatment, uh, your dog will die for the most part. And so it's a very simple vaccine that you can get to prevent it from happening. But every single year we see plenty of them because of that lack of vaccination. Okay. Others? Um, those are the two core ones, your distemper. It also covers for a few other um, um, viruses, uh, but uh, parvo is the main one uh, that we're worried about then. One's non-core wise, kennel cough. Obviously, if you're going to be boarding or going any uh, like doggy daycare or anything like that. What is kennel cough, by the way? Uh, kennel I hear cough, that term once in a while. Yeah, it's, uh, it's caused by bacteria. One of the modes of um, transmission is caused by bacteria. Other ones are viruses, uh, paroinfluenza, influenza. Uh, but it's just a bacteria that gets easily spread through coughing, sneezing, um, that type of thing that really where a bunch of dogs 
that congregate, if one of them has it, it'll get spread very, very quickly. And so it just usually starts in your throat having just a nice cough here and there. But if it uh, doesn't get treated correctly, it can go into a nice pneumonia and you can get a really sick dog. All right, let's get our first break of the hour. And when we come back here, I've got a story that I think you should hear about feral cats. Now, we see a big, big number of feral cats, and we've gone through, well, it's always breeding season for cats, but really the <laughs> spring and summer is fair, Dr. Sampson? Yeah. yeah, it's breeding season for, for these animals. And sometimes people give up on feral cats. We've got a great story about a cat who, I won't reveal the name yet, but I think you'll enjoy this story of the cat that you're going to meet next on Unleash the Pet Show. Support for your public radio station comes from our members and from All Cats Care Center, a full-service feline veterinary hospital offering medical and surgical care and boarding. All Cats Care Center, where cats come first. More online at allcatscarecenter.com. From the financial advisors of the Sartini Group at Morgan Stanley, 585-987-6053. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LL. LC, member SIPC. And Lucas Greenhouses in Fairport, serving the Rochester region for over 30 years, offering locally grown seasonal items, including pumpkins and mums, as well as ornamental pieces. Lucas Greenhouses, grown right here. LucasGH.com. Welcome back to Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. It's the third Friday of the month, and on the third Friday in the first hour, we always bring in a local veterinarian to answer your questions about your pet's behavior and health. And Dr. John Sampson is here from Greece Animal Hospital. We'll take more uh, of your questions uh, and as we go throughout the hour here. So if you want to call the program, you can do that. You can find us in different forms here. I mentioned my email, edawson at wxxi.org. Megan Mack, our producer, is on Twitter, mmackmedia. You can use... The hashtag Unleashed, or you can call the program toll-free, 844-295-TALK, 844-295-8255, or 263-WXXI if you're in Rochester, 263-9994. Now, no one knows exactly how many feral cats are living in this country, but the answer is in the tens of millions. Some rescue groups put the number at 50 million. Others say it's more like 70 million. Either way, there are huge numbers of feral cats. And while they look like house cats, they are wild animals. That's because feral cats have lived without human contact or socialization. And for years, many animal control agencies were mandated to deal only with dogs. Well, no one really benefits from large populations of feral cats. The cats themselves tend to live only a year or two on average, killed by other predators or cars or starvation or disease. And the cats have to kill other animals to eat, although the impact of feral cats on birds and rodents has been debated. So here's the question we have. Would you adopt a feral cat? Should you adopt a feral cat? I met a woman from Rochester who says adopting her feral cat was one of the most rewarding things that she has ever done. Valerie Wallace loves animals. She's the kind of person who doesn't fall for the stereotypes about pit bulls. And she has pet names tattooed on her arms. Her pets have all had Italian names to honor her heritage. Tequila, candy, taffy. Do you know Rigatoni? <laughs> you have Rigatoni? You have an animal named Rigatoni? Do you know Rigatoni? Get out of here. In 2012, she noticed a feral cat hanging out nearby. Looking out our back window... Uh, for a couple of nights in a row and saw this little cat, very scrawny, pretty much emaciated looking, in our recycle bin. Valerie put food out for the cat, then lured him into a carrier. By the time the cat arrived at the vet, it was clear. This was an animal that had never been near people. He literally climbed the walls to get away from everybody. 
peed on everything, knocked everything over, was completely terrified. Wouldn't make a sound because a true feral cat doesn't make a sound because it's their fear. They don't want to be recognized. He never made a sound for months, actually, not even a peep. And um, she said he wasn't going to be able to be in a home. He would just have to be, you know, taken care of. You can neuter him, put they him back on the street. Give up? They told us to give up. And I was like, no, I'm not going to give up. I, I, I will not give up on an animal. So I said, no, I'm not going to give up. There are more resources than ever to help pet owners train feral cats, from professionally made videos to homemade testimonials on YouTube, like this one. Anybody that says that a wild feral cat cannot be tamed is wrong. Right, Scruffy? There's even a children's book released a year ago called From Feral to Fabulous. Valerie followed the guidelines of a website she found, and perhaps most importantly, she was patient. We kept him in actually this room, a small little room inside of a crate. He felt comfortable in the crate. We kept it covered so he would feel safe in there. Rarely ever came out. And I started implementing the what we did with him, which was basically just being in the room with him a few times a day, just so he gets aware of your presence, gets used to. I would sit there and talk. I made up a song with his name, so he would start recognizing, this is your name, this is what I'm going to call you. His name, by the way, is Cannoli. Every day we did this, and the next step would be to sit in there, sit on the floor, put treats on the floor, little snacks. Took him a long time to even peek around his head to come out, because he would hide behind the bookcase. He'd peek around the corner, eventually came out, looked at the snack, took it and went back. And then after six months with Cannoli, the breakthrough. He finally made a noise, finally reached out, put his little paw out towards me and touched my hand. And I cried, obviously. You cried? <laughs> I cried because, you know, he's like my baby and he made such progress. You know, he's this terrified little creature that, you know, even the vet was willing to give up on and say, you know, he's not going to be able to be in a family and he clearly wants to be in a family. He was very sweet, very open. You know, he would watch me and I said, you know, he is curious. He does want to know. He's just terrified. How could you give up on someone that's just terrified? Today, if you stop by Valerie's house, you're likely to find Cannoli sitting on someone's lap or hanging out with the other animals. He loves to be petted. He grooms my dogs. Best friend is probably my 80-pound pit bull. Grooms him every morning while he sleeps, and it's the cutest thing. And so Valerie's message to animal lovers of all stripes is to resist the urge to give up on feral cats. The animals on the street truly need you. You know, in the winter they have no homes. They're freezing. They're starving. They pick up illnesses. They could be hit by cars, you know, poisoned. Anything could happen to an animal on the street. The average life of a feral cat on the street is one to two years. So I encourage anybody to, even if you have to trap an animal to save their life, they might not like it at first, but you're saving their life. And in the end, if you can work with them even a few minutes a day, just to be present, let them hear your voice, get to know you, get their routine, it saves their life and you get to have a best friend. Love that story. And Valerie, thanks for sharing that story with us and with our audience. I have a feral cat at home. I mean, she's, I get once they're feral, they're always feral, Dr. Sampson? Is that technical? I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I mean, they're always going to have that wild side to them. They just finally trust you enough to actually allow you to do stuff with them. Yes, so I've got, so for 14 years, we've had Sarah, and uh, Megan Mack, our producer, will post pictures if you want to see Cannoli and Sarah, these vicious feral cats. <laughs> we'll do that. Um, it's a great success story, but 
not everyone has the patience of someone like Valerie. I think I think her story, Dr. Sampson, is this note that says you can have a beautiful relationship with an animal if you're willing to work at it. Um, what have you seen when it comes to animals coming into your office, for example? Have you seen the feral cats have the same experience that Valerie had with hers, that first experience, you know, climbing the wall, peeing mm-hmm. everywhere? Yeah, and so what you're pretty much doing to them, and to put it in really, you know, kind of bad terms, is imprisoning them because they are used to something else, and then you put them in a house, they can't get away, so they're going to freak out and try to get away because it's so uncomfortable for them. They don't trust anybody. They don't trust anything. And so they can't get away, and they'll try to climb the walls in order to do it. Um, But, you know, like in this story, for some cats, you put in the time and the effort, and you just pretty much let the cats take their time in order to trust you, that sometimes things will work out. Uh, But it's that whole patience thing. Um, and that's a long time to wait for, you know, that type of reaction from the cat, you know, months and months. No question about it. And, uh, it was sort of the same way for us. I remember one day I came home from work and this little black cat who would always be at the corner of the room. I remember <laughs> trying to take them to the vet and, and having oven mitts on as we mm-hmm. tried to, tried to corral them. Uh, one day I came home from work, she looked at me standing in the hallway and she just flopped on her back. And I thought, well, now we've made some progress mm-hmm. here. But it took a while. It took a while, and now it's a very rewarding relationship. So so thank you, Valerie. And uh, so before we get to your, back to your phone calls, Dan and Brighton, I'm coming to you in one second. A, a couple of written questions have come in on this. Alex in Somerville wants to know, should my neighbors be feeding feral cats? I mean, they're helping them. It's just kind of like the story says. Uh, they need some sort of food source. If there's that many feral cats out there, obviously there's probably not too much wildlife out there as well. So, you know, it's obviously you can't tell somebody what to do. Yes, they bring in the diseases, the fleas, certain things that can come to the a- that area depending on how many there are. But at the same time, they're taking care of the animals. So, you know, you can't just say no to it unless it's really posing an issue. Okay, well, we're going to move on to some general questions from listeners on any kinds of animals, your dogs, your cats, or, I don't know, Dan and Brighton, a squirrel? Is this a squirrel (laughs) question? Yes, it's a squirrel question. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Um, In our backyard, there was at least one squirrel. I couldn't tell. I can't tell the squirrels apart, so it may have been more than one. Would jump up in the air, um, straight up, and then laying down and stay still for three minutes or so. And, oh, it would twist itself when it was straight up in the air. And I was wondering if it had some sort of seizure or is this a... Uh, That's kind of hard to tell from that. I wouldn't be able to tell with seizures. I mean, yes, I guess you can technically have a focal seizure like that, but who knows on if it's chasing something and then when it's laying there, it's searching for that thing it was chasing, waiting for it to pop out again. It's just a theory. I have no clue. But um, with it, uh, yeah, I guess you can never say no, it doesn't have a seizure, but I'd probably say not. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Dan. I see the phone ringing. We'll get back to that in a second. I'll get another email question. Uh, Veronica in Rochester wants to know, how do I get my cats to stop fighting? One cat is declawed, but the other is not. And I'm afraid the cat that isn't declawed will get scratched in the eye. And how would I care for an eye injury? There's several questions in there. Let's start with this. There's a couple in there. And, you know, cats getting along is a very common thing we deal with. And sometimes separation is the best uh, medicine. Other times there's a lot of now hormones that you can put out that are like plug-in, Glade plug-ins, for example, uh, there's a product called Feel Away that you can do that with. Mm-hmm. And all it does is, you know, put this hormone out into the area to ho- hopefully help them calm down and allow it. But some cats just don't respond to it. There's uh, collars that you can do the exact same thing. But if uh, 
cats don't want to get along, sometimes they just will never get along. Uh, I've seen it numerous times, and if you have to separate them for an extended period of time or make sure there's safe zones in the house, that that's what you have to do sometimes. I don't want to get sidetracked into a whole discussion on declawing, which I know mm-hmm. can, it can be a fiery topic for many people, and I yep. understand why. But but let me just ask you in general, is it unsafe to have one cat that's declawed and one cat that's not? I mean, do you have to have them on equal footing in case they do scrap, or is that okay? Well, I mean, obviously there's that unfair advantage, but uh, you can kind of tend to that by trimming their nails regularly. If you're able to do it, do it weekly. You kind of take away that weapon. Um, oh, cats are very cool about just letting you <laughs> trim their nails, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, some of them are okay. It's, okay. Uh, it's obviously a matter of uh, training them to and them getting used to actually touching the paws. If you do one claw at a time, so be it. Um, if you don't, bring them into the vet. We deal with uh, cats that really hate it, uh, but we do it still. You can take your I honestly didn't know this. You can take your cat to the vet to have their nails trimmed. Yep. And you do it. Yep. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm better you than me, Dr. Sampson. Uh-huh. Let me go down to Springwater, and this is Patty. Go ahead, Patty. Hi. Hello. Um, I wanted to uh, give another side to the feral cat story. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I had always been a real fan of any cat until a friend of ours had taken in a feral cat who was always kind of strange and, and, you know, not friendly, um, but friendly to them. And um, they uh, 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 had him for, I don't know, 10 years maybe, eight years. I can't remember. But um, they live in the, the people live in the woods. And um, one night the cat woke her up and was just making a, a real ruckus at the sliding glass door. And um, she turned the light on, and the cat attacked her. Um, was probably very excited at some animal that was outside, but uh, this attack was enough to make her pass out. This was probably last... It was over a year ago that she's now still uh, uh, trying to get the skin to grow back. Um, she's had all kinds of treatments, and, you know, they, they got along with her, but she was just a different cat, having seen whatever it was outside. Sure. Um, I just wanted to uh, give that other side that, that that wild cat is still in there. Oh, 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 absolutely. And, Patty, thanks for the phone call. So, as Dr. Sampson said, that is a wild animal. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, this story makes me think of something that we talked about with domesticated indoor cats, which is misplaced aggression. Is that... uh, So, uh, for example, you know, your cat, or my cat, I've seen this happen, (laughs) is an indoor cat, but let's say another cat in the neighborhood comes to the door, and they're nose-to-nose, or another animal comes to the door, and that cat gets fired up and wants to turn and is going to misplace that aggression on the next thing it sees. It sounds like this could have happened. In, when Exactly. It, is that And possible? so I can almost bet there was another cat outside at that time. Sure. And... You know, uh, cats like to fight over their territory, and uh, that cat probably had a territory it loved and did not want to give up, and 
you know, it's going to fight for it. Then all of a sudden it gets startled. Any wildcat that gets startled will just go more or less crazy. And it doesn't really matter who's there, what's going on. Uh, we see it in the vet clinic all the time is a cat is super stressed out at the vet, vet clinic. And the owners are just like, I swear this is, this is not our cat. This is not our cat, which I guarantee it's not your cat. But when you put them in a position where they're so stressed, they will act out. And we tend to be the ones who get hurt by it and we'll get those infections uh, very easily from cat scratches. Ooh, you have. Well, well we, yeah, you, you <laughs> definitely get it in this, uh, you know, profession. Oh boy. Uh, and I would just say as well, Patty, I mean, I'm, um, I, I, as a, as the owner of a technically feral cat, you know, I mean, I, I'm not here to tell you that it's easy uh, or that there isn't, you know, a lot of work involved, but um, I, and I'm very sorry to hear what happened to the person you're talking about, but you know I, I don't think that's evidence that feral cats are not worth our attention. Agreed. Um, so uh, it, it's just more evidence that they are wild animals, and that it is going to be uh, an effort there. So um, I see the phones ringing, um, and uh, we'll get back to your phone calls coming up here. Let me see a little bit more, um, and uh, let's see here. Uh, Beth in Brighton wants to know: Is there a safe way to introduce cats to a new dog in the household? Yeah, uh, so you can separate them for a little bit, uh, you know, by a door. Let them sniff each other through the cracks, and make sure that the cat feels comfortable. And if your dog is a very rambunctious, say lab, you're going to want to, you know, maybe put a baby gate up so they can go nose to nose and see each other, but the dog can't get to the cat. And so doing it very, very slowly. And then there will be a point in time where the cat feels comfortable enough to jump over the baby gate and interact a bit. But uh, once again, patience is the key. Okay. And one in Greece writes and wants to know, uh, my dog was trained to use pee pads, but has suddenly started peeing where the pads are not. How can I get my puppy to pee on the pads again? <laughs> um, being there when he's doing it, whenever he goes uh, to the bathroom on the pee pads, a lot of positive reinforcement, treats, high praise, being in a very, get excited about it. Dogs react to positive reinforcement very, very well. Um, when they go off of the pee pad, obviously you don't react to them really. Just you know, well, How about negative reinforcement? Don't do that? It's kind of a, a topic between, you can ask numerous vets and some of them will be like, yes, I, I'm kind of one person that goes yes on both sides but I'm more of the positive reinforcement. Um, positive reinforcement goes a lot further than negative reinforcement. Um, but I think there is a time and a place for both. Okay. Stephanie and Victor next up. Go ahead, Stephanie. Hi. I'm enjoying your show. I want anyone who is taking care of feral cats, but if someone is taking care of them, part of the process, most importantly, is to get in touch with a rescue group. You can do that by calling Lollipop Farm or Rochester Animal Services to come out and help trap, neuter, spay, vaccinate, and release so that they do not just keep breeding. We have people who are very kind and want to help, but if you don't stop the cycle by the spay-neuter, it's just going to make matters worse. And there's lots of people out there who are willing to help. Thanks for the phone call, Stephanie. And what do you think, Dr. Yeah, Samson? it's a very good point. I mean, obviously you want to stop uh, more cats from going out there, you know, with those statistics of only living um, for X amount of years and having, you know, so much to deal with out in the wild uh, these days that... Yeah, you want to not try to have as many cats deal with that further on in the future. And and that cycle, I remember years ago seeing just how quickly 
two cats can become <laughs> hundreds and then it's thousands. It really is amazing. Very quick. So, so it's a good point there. This is Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. If you've got a question about your pet's health or behavior, you can call 844-295-TALK, toll free, 844-295-8255. And we're going to take one more short break. When we come back, we're going to visit Lollipop Farm's new equine training and rehabilitation arena. We're going to learn about how this facility is helping more horses find homes. More Unleashed is next. Coming up in our second hour, Second Opinion Live takes a look at drug allergies. 10% of the U.S. population reports being allergic to penicillin, but now medicine's diversified, right? doesn't really matter if you're allergic to one. It turns out that's not true. In fact, we're looking at drug allergies across the board and answering your questions next hour. This is WXXI AM Rochester, WRUR-FM and HD Rochester, WEOS-FM and HD Geneva, and WXXI-FM HD2 Rochester. Support for your public radio station comes from our members and from the financial advisors of the Sartini Group at Morgan Stanley, 585-987-6053. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. From All Cats Care Center, a full-service feline veterinary hospital offering medical and surgical care and boarding. All Cats Care Center, where cats come first. More online at allcatscarecenter.com. And Small World Food, providing local organic products and produce, including bread, probiotic ferments, and more. Located on Canal Street in the city and on Saturdays at the public market. More at smallworldfood.com. Welcome back to Unleashed. When you think of adopting animals from Lollipop Farm, dogs and cats probably come to mind. But Lollipop Farm also has an equine program, and a new facility set to be completed next month is going to give that program a major boost. Here's Unleashed producer Megan Mack, who went to Lollipop Farm to check out its new equine training and rehab arena. Lollipop Farm has a sprawling campus in Fairport, and if you walk past the main building that's home to dogs, cats, and smaller animals, you'll see pastures and barns for farm animals. And now there's a new building, a 100 by 180 foot indoor arena dedicated to training and rehabilitating horses. The staff at Lollipop say this facility will give more horses a better chance at finding new homes. We do need a place where we can work with them securely year round so that we can provide better options to adopters. We're working with the horses. We're going to be able to keep their minds sharp, bodies in great physical shape work on any behavior issues, and then just keep them tuned in so that when adopters come out, we can say, here, this horse might be perfect for you. This is what we've been doing. Joanna Dicton is Lollipop Farm's farm and safety manager. She says the new facility will allow her staff to provide additional training and rehabilitation for the more than 30 homeless and abused horses that are brought to Lollipop each year. Currently, work with the horses slows during the winter due to the cold weather. Over the last decade, Lollipop Farm has taken in more than 250 horses. Most are brought in by owners who can't care for them anymore. Maybe they're moving away and they can't take their horses with them. But Dickton says Lollipop does see a number of cruelty cases. Last year, actually, we had one horse that was seized. Two years ago, we had seven. And the year before that, we had 15. And that was a large starvation cruelty case. And while all horses are different, Dicton says at first, cruelty cases can be especially difficult to evaluate and manage. It's hard because not every horse is cookie cutter. You can't use the same tactics with every horse, but you do have to give them the same patience 
and approach them all in a calm way so that they can respond and trust you. Because a lot of times they just don't have anyone that they've been able to trust over the years. And that's the first thing you have to establish is I'm not going to hurt you. You can trust me. So let's start with that. So what does rehabilitating a horse involve? There's veterinary and dental care, and then seeing the farrier who trims the horse's hooves. But there's also time dedicated to training the horses to discover what their jobs are. Owners may want horses for trail riding, driving, so they pull a cart behind them, or even for events like jumping and dressage. Dickton says horses can exhibit behaviors that require months of training to make them suitable for their new homes and jobs. Certainly there could be aggressive behaviors or vices. The horse needs a job, so they're bored, so they're acting out to get attention, just like a child might. Or something's happened in their past where you have to decide, is it a real aggressive behavior or is it a boredom behavior? So you have to be able to evaluate that and work with that, figure out what the issue is and try to evolve it. We had this mare last year that was that same scenario, and she's a wonderful trail horse. When she was asked to do something and not allowed to get away with something, she'd learned if she reacted the person would back off and let her, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. And she's like, great, I don't have to work today. So when she was like, ah, I can't get away with that, with the staff that was here, she turned into an amazing horse. The staff at Lollipop Farm say some horses stay for eight months to up to eight or nine years before they're adopted. But with the new arena providing the opportunity for staff to work more closely with the horses year-round, Dickton expects to help more horses find new homes in less time. When they're pasture pails and can't be ridden, sometimes it's tougher, but if it's a horse that just needs some training and some work, maybe manners or teaching them to ride a little bit more or giving them new experiences, that's something that we want to be able to add and grow and provide them more options for adoption. Dickton and her colleagues emphasize that the new arena is more than just a building. It's an opportunity to grow the equine program and its staff and forge deeper relationships with the equine community. The majority of the $1.1 million project was funded by donors. Dickton says the project was a long time coming, and the equine community was especially supportive. They had the same excitement level once you talked about it, and they're like, yeah, you need it. Like, you've needed it. We've known we've needed it, Um, and it was finally like, we're in a spot where we can actually do it. Dickton says she hopes the new arena and the development of the equine program will help change the public's perception of how Lollipop Farm helps horses. A lot of people are like, oh, it's all the cruelty case horses, or it's just the old ones that are broke down that aren't rideable. That's what we want to change, is that impression with the community. And again, we want them to see us as a resource. While the arena will mainly be used for training and rehabilitation, Dickton says in the future it could serve as a multi-use space, hosting fundraisers, clinics, and training sessions. This arena is a dream come true for the staff, for our supporters, and for the horses because it's going to open so many doors for us and possibilities for them. The new arena is set to open in mid-October, and Lollipop Farm is open to the public, so you can go check it out. There's no cost to visit, so you and your family can go to the farm to meet horses like Dakota, who are on a path to finding a new home. That was the horse I was hearing at the end. I I couldn't quite tell there. Horses are considered luxury pets, so Lollipop Farm wants to emphasize that it is expensive to care for them. If you're thinking about adopting a horse, Lollipop Farm offers counseling sessions for prospective adopters. Uh, Thanks to Megan Mack, producer of Connections and Unleashed, for that piece. And uh, we just want to remind you, we've got, oh, just over 10 minutes left in this program with Dr. John Sampson, who's here from Greece Animal Hospital. Greece does dogs, cats, anything else? 
Uh, right now, that's pr- primarily it. Yeah. Um, but if you have any issues with any other thing, you know, feel free to call and see if we will. I saw somebody, let's see here, a colleague from Channel 13, they saw a woman walking down the street of Rochester with a mini horse the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody ever come in with a mini horse? No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I'll get back to your phone calls in a second here. Benjamin on Twitter says, oops, sorry, Ben, here we go. He says, an eight-year-old chihuahua suddenly started nipping kids, got a zap collar, and it stopped. Uh, and now he seems relaxed, but is that okay? I mean, you're going to have a lot of people who are against uh, zap collars. Um, obviously, you're just punishing your dog for doing something. Uh, but, I mean, it's kind of going back to that negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement. Uh, yeah, ideally, you do positive reinforcement, but it's going to take a lot longer in order to get your results. But it tends to be really good results. But, you know, you get uh, kind of the same effect with it. Uh, do I would still probably ask your vet to see if it's appropriate for each and every case. Um, but obviously you got, uh, the proper, uh, thing that you wanted out of this, but. What do you, what, we called it a zap collar, but what's the actual term for it is a. Uh, it's an electric collar, you know, um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me get back to your phone calls and Susan in Shortsville next up. Go ahead, Susan. Hi, I have a cat that, um, I adopted six years ago from Lollipop Farm and they told me she had been confiscated from a hoarder. Uh, I'm assuming that that would be similar to uh, feral cats and that she probably wasn't handled, that there were 15 cats. How can you be really petting them all or anything? Um, she's terrified to be picked up, although over the past six years it has slowly gotten so that she doesn't pee when she gets... I have to catch her still uh, most of the time. Um, she sometimes goes into the freeze mode after I've kind of followed her around the house to try and catch her to take her to the vet. Is there anything else I can do to help her um, be not so afraid? Uh, just, once again, kind of time. Uh, yeah, you, you can consider them kind of a feral cat just for in that situation, but at least they're human, They're used to human contact for being in that house. Um, if your kennel isn't out and, you know, in your house uh, visibly, that maybe put, putting that out there constantly so they're not afraid of the sight of the kennel. I have plenty of owners who obviously keep it in storage, and as soon as they bring it out, the cats just all dart because they know exactly what that means. So keeping it out for them to see, you know, hopefully they'll get used to it and not run every single time. Yeah, actually I did kind of leave it out just because I, the basement is, is damp, so she did get into it one time and just kind of sit in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not a regular occurrence and I spray that fell away yep. up or you you think that I think that's definitely going to help. I mean, uh, one place you can put is put it upstairs in a place that's a little bit more conspicuous as well, uh, because if it's upstairs, maybe they're going to get a little bit more comfortable with it. Uh, it all depends on where they're going to spend the majority of their time. If they like to yeah, spend the time in the basement, well, yeah, that's a good place for it. It's right in the dining room where oh, okay. I don't have much storage space, so yep. it's right there where uh, one of her favorite spots is by the, the bay window. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a lot of little towers for her and stuff. I used to have my elderly cat passed away and she was totally tuned into him he could care less about her (laughs) she did pass away so now it's just the two of us and she is finally she heard for me the first time ever yep last week yep so um so six or seven years still was kind of normal for this thing? Oh, yeah, it's all a matter of, like, that, uh, you know, relationship of her uh, her and the other cat. If they didn't get along, now it's finally my house, and now I can be relaxed, and now I can do all of these things, whereas before I was always on edge and, you know, didn't want to become friendly because of the other cat. I've seen it before. 
And oh, so I see. She, she totally loved up to him. Mm-hmm. And I was guessing it's because she was used to 15 other cats and no people. Yep. Maybe. Uh, but she once she had no one else to focus on um, after he passed. I mean, she was totally devoted to him, and mm-hmm. he just didn't want it really. He mm-hmm. would just ignore her as best he could. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it's just because now it's just the two of us. Yeah, and it uh, could be just wanting, like you said, becoming more affectionate to one specific person now, and you're the person. Good luck, Susan. <laughs> Hope that that helps. From Dr. John Sampson of Grease Animal Hospital, this is Alex in Pittsburgh next up. Go ahead, Alex. Hi. Um, so my dog has just been scratching a lot more than usual. She's developing little scars and or scabs and scratches all around. She's even pulling her fur out of her tail. And I was wondering if that may have maybe uh, anything to do with the allergies like you're talking earlier. Absolutely. Those are exactly the signs that we typically see. And if you're not treating for fleas, that's going to be the first thing I recommend because uh, dogs can get very, very itchy from fleas and start scratching everywhere. If you're on a good uh, topical product, oral top, uh, product, whatever, that um, allergies could be going along. We're seeing uh, our typical group of animals come in every fall for these type of things. And um, if we're that uncomfortable, definitely go talk with your vet about uh, the medications that are out there because we are treating numerous of them and make them so much more comfortable on these meds. Gotcha. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Yeah, thanks for the phone call there, Alex. Let me get back to your emails. And this is Catherine who writes to the program and says, uh, Evan, I've adopted kittens that definitely have some feral blood. Is there a mild tranquilizer that could be given to them so that I can actually get them to the vet without suffering bites and scratches and without them feeling so traumatized to be caged for the vet visit. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of products out there. Uh, you know, if you talk to your vet, if they feel comfortable, if they carry the medication, um, one that I use uh, is gabapentin. Um, and so it's just a neurological uh, pain medication that we use in humans as well. Uh, but it's a super safe drug. The higher you use it dose-wise, the more sedation that you're going to get out of it. Um, gabapentin? Gabapentin. Where do you get it? Uh, through your vet. Okay. <laughs> All right. um, and so we can prescribe it for you and uh, go from there. But so far we've seen a lot of uh, good results with uh, the ones that we have used it on. What's the form of ingestion for them? Uh, there's a liquid and then there's a capsule. It's all a matter of what uh, the vet practice carries if they carry it. Okay. You know, because we, one of our, well, we've got two cats. One of the cats is on a, a nightly medication for high blood pressure, and mm-hmm. I am just grinding up a quarter of a small pill and putting it right on the top of the first couple bites of food for her. Mm-hmm. So she... So she'll eat it, and so she'll take it. The idea of of giving her that actual solid pill was never happening. <laughs> but but grinding it up has worked out fine, she, which is great. Um, but w- are there any, anything effective that you have found when it comes to getting cats to actually take medications? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they are a food motivated cat, I mean, easy cheese, peanut butter, any uh, little. Baby food is another good one mm-hmm. um, that you can do it. And then if all else fails, you know, there's obviously you get used to grinding it up or forcing the pill down the throat. Uh, but there is compounding pharmacies that can make like tasty chews, like uh, tuna flavored, chicken flavored type chews for these type of meds. Um, so, yeah, there's a bunch of different options out there. If you're having difficulty, stop fighting, at least talk with your vet and see what kind of options there are. And for Catherine, to, to close the loop on that, she's not going to be able to go to a store and get gabapentin, but she could talk to her vet and say, look, this is the situation. Can you help me with the prescription for it? Exactly. 
And you've done that? Yep. Okay. Uh, so good luck to you, Catherine, on that. Got a few more minutes here. We've asked a lot of the vets who've been in a question that we see some variation of, of opinion on in the veterinary community about the age at which dogs and cats should be spayed or neutered. What do you recommend? I'm more of a year person. So dogs, I mean, cats, uh, you know, it typically is right around six months. That really hasn't changed all too much, uh, especially for your female cats, because as soon as spring hits, uh, they're going to be wanting to go outside, starting to go roam the neighborhoods, and then all of a sudden they're going to be pregnant. So, you know, the sooner the better with them. With dogs, uh, you know, the old line was six months, uh, just because you get it over and done with, they're going to be lighter, uh, so it's going to be cheaper in reality. But um, one disease we're seeing a lot of in our practices is uh, ACL tears. And so I recommend more or less around a year just to hopefully get them to develop their musculature and their hips and their knees a little bit more. Maybe we can provide some uh, stability around those because unlike in humans where ACLs is more of a traumatic thing, hence you always see it in football players, that uh, it's more of a genetic degeneration uh, type of disease in dogs. All right. So I am totally dense about this. Uh-huh. Why, why would a dog get an ACL tear related to this issue? Uh, so the longer the hormones are in the body, the more the musculature is going to grow and get stronger and everything along those lines. So you're just providing that base strength around the knee and the hips to hopefully offset, um, you know, the weakened ACL in reality. Uh, but then you run into the issue of, well, is it going to be a behavioral thing? The more longer they're unneutered, the more crazy they're going to be. That's where training comes into play. So making sure that you have a well-trained dog, and if you're having difficulty, go do puppy classes, go talk to somebody about it and get proper training. With females, it's all a matter of if you want to deal with a heat cycle or yeah. not. So that's yeah. the biggest thing with me and females. I'm like, if you can deal with it, go for it. If you can't, by all means, yes, I'll spay earlier. Okay, well, I've got about a minute left here. Yes. Are there medical advantages to not spaying and neutering? Them? No, not really. Just uh, just for that little you know bit of time at the beginning of their life for uh, developing musculature, really. Uh, you're gonna if you do it, you offset uh, mammary cancer, uterine cancer, testicular cancer, et cetera. So that's why we'll always recommend it. And what kind of recovery time should we be expecting? Uh, so your Labradors will, you know, want to be bouncing off the walls the day of the surgery, but uh, roughly about a week to two weeks uh, to heal completely. Hopefully you've got some support in the house. I saw this great picture because <laughs> dogs will get, people will do the cone, right? Yep. Um, you, Definitely you, recommend the cone. Okay. The so, cone of shame for sure. <laughs> the cone of shame. <laughs> I saw this picture. Where did I see it? Maybe Megan Mack can help us me find it. Uh, this great picture of a big dog who's got the sad face and the cone of shame. But there's this kitten inside the cone <laughs> snuggling mm-hmm. with this dog right next to his face saying... Been there, done that, my friend. I'm, I'm with you on that. So, uh, Dr. John Sampson from Grace Animal Hospital, thank you for not only helping us with our questions, but our listeners. I know they appreciate it, and we appreciate you being here. Thanks so, for having me. It's been a pleasure. This is Unleash the Pet Show. Our thanks to the great people who put it together and the team that helps promote it. Hope that you have enjoyed it. And Megan Mack is not only the producer of this show, but does such a great job on Unleash the Pet Show. It's the third Friday of every month for us. All right, short break, and Second Opinion Live is next.